Hey everybody, good to see you this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. Thankfully, I'm not the only pastor anymore. Welcome back, Emily. Um, glad to have you back and looking forward to a couple weeks. Norton, our lead pastor, will be back as well. But today we're, we, we're wrapping up this, this series that we've been in all summer. So for the last 12 weeks, we've been going through uh, this book in the Old Testament called the book of Proverbs, um, seeking something that we've acknowledged we all need. Um, seeking wisdom. And wisdom is that capacity to cut through all of the complicating information, the overwhelming, uh, overwhelming amount of information and knowledge that we have that comes at us every single day. Uh, and it's the ability to take all that and to be able to make something out of it, to make decisions in the complexity of our life. And wherever, wherever you are in life, we, we've acknowledged that we all need wisdom. You never get to a place of arrival where you're like, oh, well, I have all the wisdom that I need. It seems the older that you get, Yet truly wise people recognize uh, that we always need more wisdom. So in this series, we've been seeking it. Um, Proverbs tells us that we have to go looking for wisdom. It doesn't just fall in our lap. So we've done that in a variety of different ways. Um, one way is that we've gone to the book of Proverbs. We've encouraged people to go on their own. Um, hopefully you've been able to do that. We gave out some little journals at the beginning of the series um, and asked you to read contemplatively, slowly, just through the book. Um, I've gotten about 10 chapters through in 12 weeks. So I'm kind of slow rolling this and, and I'm gonna keep going. And the point is, uh, as we come to the end of this 12 weeks, it feels like we're just scratching the surface. Like we're just getting started because really we are um, and I'm hoping that this desire to seek wisdom doesn't end for you that you'll continue looking for ways uh, to seek wisdom to, to seek it out to to look for God in places in your life to be able to make wise decisions but as we come to the end of the series today I want to address I want to end the series by addressing what is I think is a tension for all of us in the pursuit of wisdom particularly going through the book of Proverbs um, so we're all seeking wisdom. We all need it in different areas of our lives. Um, and we read the book of Proverbs. We go to church. We seek relationships with other people that are doing this. Um, ask them for wisdom. We get wise input. And, and we do the best we can to make wise decisions in life. But what happens when we do all that and things still go wrong? What happens when we seek God for wisdom in our life and we make what we think is the best, wisest decision that we can make and th things still go wrong in your life? What do you do when you, you pray for wisdom and you wrestle about making the right decision in your job and you make it and somehow or another things still don't go right, you still don't close that deal, you still don't get that promotion, you can't move forward? Or what if you, you read what Proverbs tells you about diligence and how it pays off and how it's rewarded that over time the diligent are successful and yet you just got laid off from your job because the economy has been bad and your company's taken a hit. What do you do when you try really hard to be wise in your dating relationships and you keep seeking after that right person, guided by some of what Proverbs says we need to look for in the person that we commit our life to, and yet you just keep going on date after date and saying no and saying no, and you're beginning to wonder, is there ever going to be somebody I'm going to be able to share my life with? Or for those of us who are married, what do you do when you seek wisdom about what it means to be a good husband or a good wife, and you keep trying to make wise decisions and things aren't getting any easier in your marriage. Maybe things are starting to fall apart in your marriage. 
What do you do when you try really hard to make wise decisions with money? Proverbs tells us to spend less than we make, to be generous. Uh, and if you do that, that there will be prosperity, that, that good things will happen. What do you do when you do the things Proverbs says and you're still struggling financially? Well, for starters, I would say if you've had an experience like that, you're not alone. And if you're in the middle of an experience, something like that, you're not alone. Every single person who has ever sought wisdom, every person who's come to the book of Proverbs in the thousands of years since it's been written has wrestled with this central tension, this tension of what does it mean to seek wisdom, to try to do what's right as God defines what's right, and then to still see things go badly. If we're really honest, every person in this room has had this experience of doing what we thought was the wise decision, the right thing, and then having things go badly, or at least go differently than we thought they were going to go. And when this happens, when we seek wisdom and things still turn out badly or not the way that we want, how do we make sense of it? How do we respond? How do we continue to move forward? How do we think about it? Well, one option is to conclude that the biblical concept of wisdom, that this idea that somehow God is connected to right decision-making and positive outcomes just isn't true. We just dismiss it. We could just say, no, life is actually governed by fate or chance or happenstance, whatever. You're on your own. It's an option. It's not the option that I've chosen or not the option I'm going to compel you towards choosing, but I have to acknowledge It's an option. A lot of people live in this way to think that, yeah, whatever decision you make, it's really all just kind of chance. Another option to this response, to to respond to this this phenomenon of making wise, trying to make wise choices and things turning out badly is, um, this this option is really popular, I think, in a lot of churches. Just ignore it. Just just kind of ignore those, those situations. I mean, generally speaking, the Proverbs work out pretty well. You don't have to believe in God to believe that. You don't have to believe God that drunkards usually have worse outcomes in their lives than people who try to live more sober lives. You don't, you don't have to believe in God to believe that hard work and diligence usually pays off. You don't have to believe those things. You don't have to believe in God to believe those things, that those principles are generally true. And a lot of churches, I think, just focus on that, the, the principles that are true in Proverbs. And there's, a, there's sort of a variation of this, which I've been guilty of saying in the past myself, is, well, you know, the, the Proverbs, they're principles. They're not promises. And the problem with that is that it, it, when, you, when you say that, it separates the concept of wisdom from a relationship with God, which is there throughout the book of Proverbs. You can't deny that what Proverbs puts forward as wisdom is something that was created by God in the formation of the world, that it's something that God wove into creation. And it's seeking true wisdom, is seeking God himself. And so when we say they're just principles, we sort of separate them from God. And I don't know why we try to do it, and there's some truth in it, that, 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 that these aren't promises that, that work out perfectly every time. But make no doubt about it, they are promises. There are promises associated with these principles that we find in Proverbs. Dr. Bruce Walkie, who wrote, um, I think, the definitive uh, commentary on the book of Proverbs. I've been using it as, um, as I've gone through and studied the book of Proverbs, teaching through this series. Um, he, he writes in his 
in his, uh, in his book, he said, in a section that's called, uh, Does Proverbs Promise Too Much? He says this. He says, These heavenly promises of life, health, prosperity, and honor seem detached from earth's harsh realities. <clears throat> the popular evangelical solution that these are not promises, but probabilities, or you might say principles, <clears throat> though containing an element of truth, raises theological, practical, and psychological problems by stating the matter badly. According to this wording, the human partner is expected to keep his obligations perfectly, but to serve God imperfectly. In truth, however, although we are faithless, God will remain faithful. Moreover, a sober person would like to know the probabilities. And a psychologically well person could scarcely trust God with all his heart, knowing that he usually, but not always, keeps his obligations. So when I read this, I just thought, yes, this idea that somehow we're supposed to faithfully seek God, and we're supposed to do these things that the Proverbs tell us lead us to wisdom, and to see that there are promises connected to that, but to sort of say, well, sometimes those work out and sometimes they don't, that can tend to make God a fairly unpredictable sort of person that you can't really rely on. But rather than denying, rather than denying that Proverbs makes promises, Walke proposes a different approach. He encourages us to step back and take a wider view to see what's going on in the story of Scripture to recognize our context, to realize where we are in the story and how the promises of God have been thwarted by human beings' sinfulness and brokenness and the brokenness that pervades our world. He points out that through the book of Proverbs, there are these acknowledgments that yes, that, that seeking God for wisdom and doing what's right as God defines what right what's right, has promises attached to it, but there's an acknowledgement that now, currently, in the short term, there can be a lot of benefits to ignoring that. That, that people who, who Proverbs calls wicked, those who reject the way of God and go on their own, they act selfishly, they pervert justice for their own benefit, they do what's right in their own eyes, they do what they do to, to benefit themselves without a lot of thought for other people. Eventually, he says, there's going to be a day of reckoning, but in the short term, they may actually get ahead. Hidden among all of Proverbs' cautions about pursuing selfish gain or advancing our own interests at the expense of others, there's an acknowledgement that sometimes doing the wrong thing can actually work out to your advantage, at least in the short term. And herein lies the key, I think, to understanding these promises that are included throughout the book of Proverbs. The, the call to seek God's wisdom in Proverbs and the promises associated with living according to God's wisdom. It's about understanding our context, about where we sit in the story of God, to zoom out and to see a wider time frame. Proverbs assures us that in the long run, that God's way triumphs, that goodness prevails over evil. But in the short term, in the here and now, we're stuck in between. If you missed a, two weeks ago, Katie Fowler came and she guest taught with us. She's the, one of the lead pastors over at our church plant, Nova Church, Nova Denver. And she talked about this. She, she preached um, from Proverbs 13, 12, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And she, she reminded us that when we get focused on outcomes, when we focus on the, the promises and they're being fulfilled in the short term, 
that can actually lead to us setting our hopes on outcomes and not on God himself. And that as we, those get deferred over and over again, we can become heartsick. We can become despondent. If you missed the message, go to our website and listen to it. It was fantastic. But it, it sets this idea that we're in the already not, but not yet. God has initiated the, the culmination of his story in Jesus. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the story, the end of the story has already been written, but we haven't quite gotten to its fulfillment yet. We live in this in-between time. So today I want to focus on what do we do in that meantime? What do we do in that in-between time? So back to the question that I asked at the beginning. What happens when you seek to follow the way of wisdom and things still go wrong in your life? I want to look at two verses, both that come from the book of Proverbs, both that are embedded there, that I think give us a way forward to think about how do we respond in times of uncertainty, when we've sought God for wisdom and we think we've made the wise choice and things don't turn out the way that we want or the way that we expected. Here's the first one. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, you may have heard this verse before. Sadly, it has become a bit of a cliche, um, more likely to end up on a coffee mug uh, or maybe to end up as a funny meme. Um, I think we have some pictures. Yeah, there we go. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And then I love this one. Um, this is me trying to lean on my own understanding. Um, so it's a funny me. I thought that one was actually pretty funny. But, but this verse has become a little bit of a kitschy kind of phrase. And, and there's a possibility that at some point in your life where you had something go wrong, somebody sent you this verse and they said, you know, you should just trust in the Lord. Just trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. It'll be okay. Bless, bless their heart. I mean, bless their heart. I think they intended well, but that kind of take two verses and call me in the morning uh, approach when someone's going through a difficult time is not always that helpful. So I acknowledge you may have heard this verse and it may actually trigger some, some bad memories in you. I mean, in those moments where we feel like we've done the best that we can to make wise decisions and we're, we're facing this confusing and disappointing reality, um, it can be hard when people just give these easy answers. But what if God is at work in those times? What if God hasn't abandoned you or forgotten you? When we feel like he's, he's distant, when we feel like we've made choices or decisions and the outcomes haven't gone the way that we thought or maybe the way that, that Proverbs promises that they're going to turn out, it's hard to believe that we can trust God, isn't it? Feels like he's broken his promise. Feels like he hasn't made our path straight or made things work out. But what if he is at work? What if, what if God is drawing straight paths, but he's using crooked lines? What if it takes a little longer to get to some of those promises than our desires or our time frames? What do I mean by that? Sometimes the outcome we experience and hope for, it looks different from the perspective of hindsight, doesn't it? Have you ever had a situation in your life where you desperately wanted something? A job, a dating relationship, you, you desperately wanted 
something. And, and that thing, you felt like it was the thing that was going to fulfill you, to make you happy. And then later you look back and you realize, wow, I'm really glad I didn't, I didn't end up marrying that person. I mean, come on, Garth Brooks even wrote a song about this, you know, unanswered prayers, right? Uh, I mean, it's, this is sort of a common experience that we've had where we look back and we think, whoo, dodge the bullet on that one. What if those situations weren't just chance or serendipity or happenstance? What if God is drawing straight paths in your life with crooked lines, moving you in ways you don't like, you don't want to see in the, in the middle of that. We've all had that experience of having things turn out the way that we, we didn't expect or didn't want, but maybe with hindsight, look back and think it was the best possible outcome. Which brings me to the second verse. How do we respond in these situations? How do we act? How do we, what do we do? Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I love this verse because it affirms a plan. It affirms, I mean, any planners in the house, anybody who likes to know how things are going to go and charts, you know, what, what this day is going to be like and this week and this month and this year, and you set, you know, three, six, nine month, 12 month, three year, five year goals. I mean, this verse sort of says, it's great, go ahead and do that. But just know the outcomes may not go the way that you think. In your heart, you're going to make a plan, but the Lord is going to be directing your steps. That when things don't go the way that you expect them to go, just continue walking. Trusting that you're not responsible for the outcomes. You can do everything you can do to make wise decisions, and then it's outside of your hands. It's outside of your control. And that's where trusting God comes in, to trust that he's still moving you towards something good. So what do we do when we seek wisdom we try to make wise decisions and things don't go the way that we want, and things still go wrong, we keep moving forward. We keep seeking wisdom. We keep trying to make the best decisions that we can make with the information available to us. We keep seeking God. We keep seeking wisdom and making those decisions and keep moving forward. Trusting, believing that God moves with us. Remembering that in Jesus, God has already initiated the fulfillment of all of his promises. And one day, maybe not this week, maybe not this month, maybe not this year, maybe not even in our lifetime, but we will see the goodness of God. We will see his promises fulfilled. This is what it means to walk by faith. This is what it means to trust God in the uncertainty of a world where things don't always go the way that we expect. I was reading a biography recently about a man uh, named Eugene Peterson. So Eugene Peterson was a pastor. He wrote, if you've ever read the message translation of the Bible, uh, Eugene wrote that. Um, he was very well known. He passed away recently. And um, a friend of ours, actually from our church network, wrote a biography. He had had a relationship with Eugene for a number of years. And he wrote a biography about his life. And I was, I was reading it. And, and this, this one chapter just stood out to me because it was, uh, it was describing a time in Eugene's life when he would planted a church in suburban Maryland. And he was about three years into a church plant and it was, it was just hard. It's nice to know that church planting is hard for Eugene Peterson too, not just, you know, us dummies who, who don't know what we're doing. But Eugene described this period of time. He got about three years in and he just hit a wall 
where he just felt like they had made progress for three years. They had grown the congregation. They'd moved out of his basement. They'd been able to procure some land and built a building. And then it was like everything just kind of ground to a halt. Like people, people were just sort of stagnating in their faith. He didn't feel like the church was growing or he wasn't making any progress. And he felt like he was stuck and ready to move on. He started looking for other jobs. He started looking for jobs in churches in other cities in his denomination. Now, you don't have to be a pastor or you don't have to work in a church to recognize this. You've probably all been in a situation in a job that you just felt like it was a dead end and you could not wait to get out. Maybe it was a relationship where you just felt like you needed to move on. Maybe you grew up in a city where you just felt like you hit this place where you had to get out, you had to move on, you had to go take the next step. And this is where Eugene describes where he was. And in the book, he describes applying for a job in Rochester, New York, and he goes up to Rochester from, from Maryland, and he meets with this committee, meets with this congregation of people, and he loves it. I mean, it feels like it's the perfect situation for him. And he's so excited. He writes home to his parents back in Montana, and he tells them all about it and said he had a great connection uh, with, the, with the search committee. And he was like, I, I, I'm waiting to hear back from them. And then he goes on to tell the story that he made it to the last two uh, candidates, and he finished second. He didn't get the job. He got passed over. And he was so just crestfallen. He was, bro- he was just brokenhearted about it. He had set his hopes on wanting to, he thought this was God leading him to somewhere new, solving the problems of feeling like he was frustrated in his life and in his ministry. And he settled back into his disappointment and the hard reality that he wasn't going anywhere. He just went back to the just the grind of doing his job every day, same way he'd done it before. And then one night at a committee meeting for his denomination, they voted on affirming the call for a pastor in his region, a friend of his, who had taken a call to this church in Rochester, New York. A friend of his was the one who got the job. Now, what's really interesting, what what struck me about this was Eugene's reaction in this moment. Listen to how he writes about that moment in a letter to his family. He said, within me there was a kind of sudden joy, a leap of approval. Before I had the chance to think about it, the thought, well, of course, if they had to choose between me and him, they would obviously have to choose him. He is the absolutely right pastor for this congregation. He continued later in the letter, He says, but in this case, it was almost as if God said, I don't very often do this, and I may well never do it again for you, but just for once, I want to show you how I work. I want to demonstrate to you that my will is determinative in all the vagaries of the system and conflict and ambiguity. It was no accident or chance or mistake that this offer, that this other man was called to that church and you weren't. And you can see that now. But now that you have seen it, you must trust me to be doing it in the future too, even if you don't see it. That season in the desert where Eugene felt stagnant, he felt stuck in his job and he was ready to move on, ended up lasting for six years. Six years he continued to just walk forward faithfully. But he didn't just continue doing the exact same things. This moment was a catalyst for him to make some changes in his life. Rather than shifting his job or changing neighborhoods or surroundings or moving to another city, 
He decided to start focusing on his own health. <clears throat> he decided to take a day each week for Sabbath and for rest, where he had been working seven days a week. He took a trip with his family. He hadn't seen his family in Montana for, <clears throat> for several years, and he traveled back to Montana and spent a month there during the summer, which would become a routine for him for the rest of his career. Eugene had been a runner in college. He ran competitively. <clears throat> and then he'd given it up because he was so busy <clears throat> in his work and in his ministry. He started running again. And he found this new enthusiasm uh, uh, to just to go out and run every day at the end of the, the workday and just to let all of the frustrations that he had to, to go. And he began to do his job differently. He didn't change anything about his circumstances. He didn't change his job. He just began to change the way he did it. And looking back, he could see that not getting that job was a catalyst for him to make changes in his life. A way for God to change him from the inside out. And his experience showed him that even though his plans had been frustrated, God was still at work. God was still there, guiding him towards his good. Sometimes in life, that happens to all of us. We seek wisdom, we seek God for making good decisions, and then things don't turn out the way that we expect or hope. And in those moments, we have a choice. We get frustrated, do we get angry, do we reject God to say that you didn't come through for me, <clears throat> things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to, or do we keep walking? Do we keep walking in faith and in trust that even though this didn't turn out, God is still there. God is still present, working in ways maybe we can't see or don't understand. And maybe not this week, maybe not this month, maybe not this year, but at some point we're going to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God in ways that maybe we hadn't expected. We may see that God makes things turn out <clears throat> better than we could have even hoped. And if you're here today and you hear that, just continue to walk in faith, continue to trust, and you think to yourself, nah, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. It's still, there's still not enough. I have too many doubts. I have too many questions about how God works. And how do you continue to do that? That's great. I totally understand that. We're glad that you're here. And I hope you come back next week because the next two weeks, we're actually going to talk about that. What is the nature of our doubt? and our belief, and how does that impact our faith? <clears throat> so if you're not quite to the place where you're ready to continue walking in faith and in trust, just keep coming back. Keep taking the next step. Come back, and we'll talk more about it next week. But today, <clears throat> as we close, I want to pray that God would meet us, because we're all here to some degree or another. We all are wrestling with our doubts and our insecurities and our uncertainty about what it looks like to walk in faith and trust with God. So let's pray as we close that God would meet us in those, those particularities of our life and help us to continue to move and walk forward on the path that he has for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, it is easy to talk about this. And it's easy to say that we should trust you with our whole heart and lean not on our own understanding. But <clears throat> in the realities of life, that's a lot more complicated. And so I pray for... Um, all of us who are here today, you see and you know um, all of the particular details, <clears throat> the highs and the lows, 
the hopes and expectations, the frustrations and disappointments of everyone who's here. And for those of us who've been through this experience um, of seeking you and seeking wisdom and wanting to make the right decision and then seeing things turn out in a way that we, we didn't expect that led to disappointment or anger, God, I just pray that you would continue to give us the faith to trust you that deep within us there would be a sense that we haven't been abandoned because of what you've done for us in Jesus, that we would continue to hold to hope and we would continue to walk forward, whatever that looks like for each of us, God. Meet us in that journey. Give us a sense of your presence and give us the clarity to see the path that you want us to take. And then God, give us the courage to take those steps. And we pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen. Amen.